Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape the future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right, folks, I've got an amazing guest, Chris Doe, and we're going to talk how he grew his YouTube channel to 1.9 million, what's working for him right now on YouTube, how he's using NFTs. And I think that everyone needs to listen to it. It's the types of content that he's wrong, what most people are wrong about in their content and how it's affecting you, um, the 1,000 uh, true fans ideas, and uh, you know how he's used community to build a $4.5 million a year revenue business. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, don't forget, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to grow your business is to listen to your customers. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn how to collect, craft, and deliver your customer stories. So Chris has built up an amazing brand, the future, 1.94 million subscribers. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how he built it up. But also we're going to talk about NFTs because I think this is one of those topics that... There needs to be some clarity and you need to be listening to some smart people that are forward thinking that are genuinely good people. And going through all of Chris's content and everyone I've talked to, I, I've never met Chris before this, but everyone has said what an awesome person he is. So I, you know, smart plus awesome, I think I want to see his insights. But Chris, before we get started, let's just tell everyone what the future is and what you do there. Sure. The future is some kind of hybrid learning space. Uh, it exists mostly online so that it can be asynchronous and scalable. It's a combination of publicly facing totally 100% free content and a small portion of it is uh, written as courses and kits and that's how we sustain ourselves. We're a team of about 18 or 19 people all work, working remotely trying to teach people how to make a living doing what they love and I'm the founder. Nice, nice. And you know, the course creation and selling courses is an amazing business, but it's a tough business, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's, it's you got to constantly putting out content. So what was the key to you getting started? And w at what point did you realize you're, you're, you're actually being successful at this? Okay, so I think this is like in 2013, late 2013, a friend of mine, Jose Caballé, he had been making YouTube videos for quite some time. He would uh, host this show called This Week in Web. And this was part of a bigger network. And so when he and I reconnected, we're old uh, college classmates. He's like, why don't we start a YouTube channel together? And I was very resistant to this idea because at that time I was running another company called Blind, a service design company. We made commercials and music videos for really big advertising agencies, uh, the biggest brands and bands in the world. And I thought that only amateurs make content on YouTube people who have free time, uh, people who are desperate, people who are needy of attention. And I was none of those things at that time. And I thought this is a fast way to ruin one's reputation and to demote yourself instead of promoting yourself. You're going to lower yourself to what I thought at that time was a bunch of internet yahoos or who were near to do wells who didn't know anything about anything. And that's kind of like what that world looked like to me back in 2013. But putting all those feelings aside, I decided to dabble. So in January 2014, Jose and I made our first video together. It was on a channel called The School at that time. Later, it evolved into the future. And we started to make content. At first, it was like one or two pieces of content a month. And then it started to increase in its frequency and the quality. 
Nice, nice. And what, at what point did you start sell, decide this is your business and I'm going to start tra training people? Uh, almost at the beginning because the reason why we wanted to make the YouTube channel because, was because we had a course. And the course was called the Core Strategic Framework or something like that. And it sold for $369 uh, for anyone who wanted to buy it. And we needed to build awareness for the course and establish that we knew what we were talking about. So we approached YouTube as a portal or a funnel to attract people to our product. But I, I noticed a, a problem. Every piece of content that we had was some dancing around what we really wanted to teach without giving it away. And it created this really uneasy feeling inside of me. We're subtly, not so subtly promoting and selling a course. And so, of course, people didn't really show up to watch that. Nobody wants to watch in their free time a commercial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I would yeah, actually before we get into that shift, because I want to tease that out because I really want to get into what you did on YouTube now, because NFTs are not a logical from what people are seeing on the outside, I, I've read a lot about NFTs. I've got a lot of people I know that are getting into them. And that I understand, and I want to talk a little bit about this, what they really are, non-fungible tokens. I think a lot of people look at it as just a piece of art that you sell. And it's like a little uh, like a little gif. And like, we're going to sell for a million dollars. But that's not really what they are. So how, how do you perceive them? And how do you perceive them helping your business and your mission? Okay. I think NFTs are one of many things that are using blockchain technology where a transaction, a an exchange of goods or ideas happens on the chain where it's recorded and there's some kind of ledger that could be examined by everyone. And it opens up a lot of potential. And so NFTs and the way people are using them today is just one example of that. So the early adopters have used NFTs to, to mint digital artwork. People lovingly jokingly referred to them as just jpegs but you're actually not even buying the jpeg because the jpeg lives on a publicly available address somewhere on the web but what you're really buying is a certificate of authentication authentication from the artist and so the artist is basically giving you a receipt to say i as the creator of such a thing am giving you this thing and now you have that and this is really important and this has existed beyond or prior to NFTs. If you think about buying a comic book or a collectible baseball card or a Pokemon card, someone somewhere has to authenticate that this is an, a thing that's real because there's a lot of counterfeit stuff. And, and someone might grade your comic book as a 9 out of 10, so it's near mint condition. So it, it, it establishes the value. It's been certified and it's been sealed and there's a signature. So the NFT is just that signature. That's what you're really buying. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So now why, why do you feel and how do you feel they're going to impact your business? Okay. There's a couple different things I want to put out there. And so bear with me, everybody that's fairly new to NFTs, buckle up, strap in your seatbelt, sit back. So I'm still new to this. I've been doing a deep dive in the last, I would say four and a half months, uh, studying, talking to people, reading articles, listening to things and tr trying to get a broader perspective versus just rushing in like anybody else. When there's a gold rush, it seems like that's what everyone does. What we, what a lot of people talk about in Web3 is this decentralized web where we all have a stake in the success of, of, of a thing. And it, when I describe it, it will sound slightly horrible if it's used for ill-gotten gains, okay? So let's just say you and I, we create a world together, any kind of world, where we then give out claims of 
this world, like uh, like real estate, like dividing it up in parcels and saying you all own it. We can give it all away for free. And so now what happens is the members of our global community want to see this world become successful. So we'll create content, we'll build things within this world, and we might sell portions of the parcel that was given to them. And the success of all of us contributing to this means that we're all going to own a piece of it unless you sell all of it and then you're out of it. This is very different than the relationship, say, with Instagram or with YouTube or Facebook. When you and I as content creators, as authors of our content, we put it on there and the terms of agreement, terms of service, say Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube own that piece of content. So if YouTube or Facebook were to sell or be acquired by another company, you or I, we don't really get anything out of it. We get an audience, but we don't get anything. Why this matters is using some fairly sophisticated technologies, we can all have a stake in the things that we're building together. The reason why this sounds scary is it oftentimes mirrors like a Ponzi scheme or what other people call like multi-level marketing in that you and I create a space. And the only reason why it has value is because we sell that space to more people. And if those people sell it to more people, then it has value. But if everyone abandons it, then it has no value except for the people at the very beginning or at the top. And so that's kind of why we have to be careful about this because it can be used for good. And as oftentimes proven, it can be used just to grab cash really quickly from unsuspecting investors. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's an important thing to understand, but in any, that happens in any major shift, doesn't it? It happened at the beginning of the internet and in the internet bubble. It happened in the real estate bubble, which, but in the end, they all played out to be real things. It's just, that you have those people hustling now, how, now and it's starting to make sense. Like okay, yeah. you have a community, you want to bring people in the community. You want to have them invested in the community and make it feel like real estate. So where do you see you taking this that in that way, as much as you can tell me, and how have you thought about installing that prevention and that feeling of security? Okay. Great question. So there's a couple layers that I have to share with you and bear with me. It might get a little complicated before it becomes clear. So I've been building up, my internet community. Uh, you had mentioned 1.9 million followers on YouTube. That's just one. On Instagram, I have over 820,000 followers and on LinkedIn, close to 400,000. Obviously, some of those audiences overlap, but not all. Okay, so there's there's a common group of people who show up for the kind of things that I make. And so I've been doing this for the last eight years. And one of the things I want to do pre-pandemic w- was to build some kind of uh, physical space in real life IRL where that community can come congregate, learn from each other, share stories, and just have this common culture, this bond that makes us who we are. And when the pandemic hit, like prior to the pandemic hitting, I ordered like a hundred chairs and desks and I cleared out my space, my office. And then of course the plans go sideways a little bit as we all know, but I'm ready to ramp it up. Now, what I want to do at the scale of which I want to do I think it's going to cost me somewhere between 10 to $15 million to do this. And I can do it. I do have the money, not all of it right now, but I have a lot of it. And I can also take in an investor money, which investors have come up and said, look, we will give you money to build your, your, your dream. And I'm fiercely independent and a little kind of anti-establishment. So taking investor money means now I have to report to someone about the profitability, about the plans. And I don't want to do that. Because I move fast and I, I break things, as they say. 
And I don't want that kind of accountability to them. NFTs might be a solution for us to be able to do this, to accelerate my plans without me putting everything that I own into it and, and also be able to give value to the community who says, I would like to support this idea first and foremost. I want to be a part of this and I believe in what you are trying to do. So that's where the NFT comes in. And it could be done on Kickstarter. It, it could be done on some other kind of venture fund uh, REIT that I build. But here's the fundamental difference between a standard ticket or transaction is in the relationship that a brand has with their investor or customer, you are now trying to create long-term value for them versus transactional exchange. So when you buy a jacket from a store, the tr- transaction, the relationship is technically over after you give them your money and they give you the jacket as long as it holds up to your expectations, right? Whereas models of subscription or long-term investment, I have to continually build out this community so your stake in this grows over time. The value you receive grows over time. So for example, if I sold you that jacket and you bought it and I said anybody that wears that jacket has access to these private dinner parties, not for free, but you, you are one of a few people who can actually attend these very limited engagements. So over time, you get value that is layered on top of the jacket that you purchase. And this is what I'm really interested in. Yes, yes. And, you know, and I, I've, I've been thinking of it the same way. Because it, it's, like you said at the beginning of it, it's like virtual real estate in a way. You, you know, you can get in the front door, and this is the front door to it. And it builds up, in, that front door builds up in value to everything that's behind that front door. Um, and, and that's a simple, simple way of making it. Now, where are you in this process? If you don't mind me asking, are you going to launch soon? Is it something that's six months, year away? You're not sure? Good question. I think it's at least three to six months away. Because the reason why it's so slow is because I don't want to do this the wrong way. Because I'm seeing people make uh, get into uh, an entity and make promises and commitments they cannot keep and uphold. And I'm not going going to trade eight years of community building and trust for something that's quick and then something that I then later on regret. And I'm assuming, too, that you're eventually going to talk about this journey, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> As you go through it. Yeah, I'm yeah. learning things as uh, every conversation I have with someone. Like I didn't fully understand how smart contracts worked before, and now I sort of do. And I, I didn't understand how when people said utility, what they really meant, and now I do. It's a different form of utility than what I was thinking. Uh, but or or proof of attendance. There's a, like all these terms that people are using, and and now you start to learn and you become a little bit more aware and I can start to design what it is that I want the experience that I want. Here's a, here's an example sort of related, but not really, but you'll, you'll understand this. One of my friends, he runs a company called Grayscale Gorilla. His name is Nick Campbell. And about two some odd years ago, he switched from uh, purchasing kits and resources to a subscription model. So I think you pay something like $500 a year and you get access to all the tools and resources that they make. And it seems like a pretty good deal. It's an all-you-can-eat thing, and it's $500 a year. So what has happened to his business is he no longer has to sit there and market the products. All he gets to do is stream up cool things, things that are useful for 3D artists, and they get to have it. Some are big things. Some some things are small. So in in a case that, that for us, it's like one thing I really wanted to do was to go on, on a tour 
go across America, go across Europe, and stop in different cities where our fans congregate. And the, the logistical nightmare that that presents itself to be with ticket sales, managing venues, and all that kind of stuff becomes a huge problem. It's such a big problem that we've not done this yet. So, for example, if I were to launch an NFT program where everyone who owned this NFT, wherever you are in the world, when we come close enough to you, come out and attend this thing, I don't have to worry about marketing. I don't have to worry about anything because it's already funded and I get to just give value. So if you are really, really into what we do, I don't imagine that many, you could quite literally travel with us from city to city and say, okay, it's a different experience. It's a different group of people. And I, I, I don't want to hear the same thing again, but I want to meet these new people from city to city and just be part of this amazing community. And I think about things like that. So that's what Nick was able to do because he doesn't have to think about marketing anymore. He just gets to think about creating value. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Cause I think while I love marketing and it's exciting to me, I think most really good business owners, most great entrepreneurs are great technicians and they become Mark and, and they don't want to do the marketing. Right. And they, they want that. And that's why a lot of them fall into the trap of the silver bullet of thinking, trying to find what's going to quickly do it so I can just get back to my doing my thing. But that's a fantastic way of looking at NFTs and providing that because then you don't. And there's so many things that eliminates that you have to worry about, um, you know, and I think everyone should look into NFTs. I don't want to give a course in NFTs. There's I was actually just on crypto for entrepreneurs. Um, they were we were talking about NFTs with Matt Johnson. Uh, there's some great stuff out there, but we'll definitely connect that. Now, now let's, you know, where will, if I'm looking to follow you on this journey, well, is YouTube the best place? Instagram, across the board? Because I want to make sure everyone who's interested in it starts following you on this. Yeah, thanks. thanks for asking that question. I think the best place to follow this and to have a conversation with me probably right now is Twitter because it's lower commitment for both of us and it's more real time. Anything else is going to be a little bit delayed. And I think of the, the gap between the time in which I have a thought and which and then when it's executed, Twitter is very close. I have a thought, I compose it, and I put it out there versus YouTube means I got to record a video. There's writing and editing and publishing, scheduling. Uh, it's going to be a lot slower. So Twitter. I love it. So I know we didn't talk about this before, but how do you feel about the future of Twitter? <laughs> okay. that I see a lot of people reacting really poorly to uh, Elon Musk's uh, purchase of um, Twitter, but it's like we don't even know what he's going to do, and unless you're yeah. precog and you can predict the future, we just don't know. Uh, all we know is he said, "I'm a big believer in independent, uh, independent and free speech," and so I think we need to watch out for the robots, and I want to make sure that what we're doing is transparent. He has a fairly decent track record. I don't know, I don't know, but he has a decent track record of taking things and making them better or more feasible. Uh -huh. That's a great point. I think and that's a really, it's a, such a subtle thing that you said, and I, I want to highlight it because I think so many people get caught up in worrying about things that they have no control. I, I mean, it's humanity, right? But <laughs> no, worrying about things that they have no control over instead of thinking, what can I do to maneuver here? And, you know, what this thing changed today, what can I do to change it? Um, and so, you know, along that lines, you, you obviously have to have done that to have grown at this point. How do you, do you have a, is, is it a gut feel? Like we were talking about George Soros on another podcast where he is like his back hurts, he gets out of a trade. Or do you have a system for going, okay, this is what's going on. This is the direction I'm going to take, like with the NFT thing. Yeah, I, I do. And, and 
this is a subtle thing, but the devil's in the details, as they say. I have a pretty clear general direction, like where I see my life and the kind of company and the, the culture and the people I want to be around. I, I kind of know that direction, but it's just a direction. And if you've ever done like backpacking, uh, yeah, you know, overnight camping, hiking, things like that, you kind of know like that's the top of the mountain. There's lots of ways to get there and there's a lot of different paths. And so I don't get over invested in the path on how to get there because things can happen. A tree can fall over. Uh, that you could walk into a den of rattlesnakes. I'm like, okay. And I don't want to be married to that. And I'm not going to stop. I don't want to just sit there and wait for this uh, temporary barrier challenge to to pass. I'm going to find a different path. I'm going to, go, I'm going to evaluate because I, I kind of still know what the direction is. So pre-NFTs, I'm still thinking I'm going to build this. And my friends jokingly refer to it as the X mansion, you know, Professor X. <laughs> and this is what I want to build. And I want to build these things not just in one spot but all over the world so we can be a connected global community and to do that i need money and i can do it like just chipping away at it the way we're doing it it's just it's going to take a lot longer and if there's an opportunity to accelerate that i'm going to really look into it and do my due diligence and so when nfts pop up or perhaps a school wants to be acquired by us or acquire us and it helps me to get there faster and serve more people i have to be open-minded enough to consider the possibility and I'm in that consideration phase. Gotcha. Oh, I love it. It's important. Yeah. And, and take a look at it and decide. And what tips you in t- from the consideration phase into the all-in phase? Very good question. I rigorously debate both the pros and the cons within my own mind. And I look for both successful examples and f- examples that are completely like, well, there's some malfeasance, some some kind of scam going on. I want to kind of study this. And if I can find the model that works, then I will move forward. And if I say there's way more negative going into this than there are positive, then I'm not. This is just a basic tenet of critical thinking. Like when I have an idea, like I should charge more, I ask myself, what is to be gained by charging more? What's at risk? What are the rewards? And what what is to be gained by charging less? And what are the risks and reward? And I try to make an argument, an earnest argument for both sides. And then I look at it hopefully objectively, and then I weigh it and then pick the one that has the highest potential for success. Nice. Yeah, I, I mean, at least it's logical, right? And it, I think that's important because so many people go with gut instead of going, hey, here's what can go wrong, here's what can go right. Um, and it's funny because there's so much logical stuff I see people step over to do something that's definitely not good for their business or at best has a slight chance of winning. And so, you know, I think this segues well into how much uh, on your focus on YouTube, because I, you know, for me, YouTube's a big deal, but I've always been all in on YouTube since like 2009, because when Google was purchased, when Google purchased YouTube, I'm like, it's not going to go away and they're going to just make this thing work. Um, And it was an awesome way to share stories. And I still think it is the future. Um, but what is your, I mean, with 1.9 million followers, what is your perception of YouTube for yourself? but also for the people, for you know those entrepreneurs you're talking to. I love YouTube. Of the different social media platforms that are out there, YouTube is where we got our start, and, and they are, I think, the most benevolent social media platform that's out there. I really believe in that. They're the only social platform that I'm on that actually pays me anything that's worth talking about. And they do it in a way that's uh, via ads. It's passive, and so I don't even have to do extra work. And they're finding creative ways to create 
a space like a maker space or their studios here not too far away from where I'm at and they allow creators to go there. They also assign us rep- representatives who coach us through this and depending on how big we get, we get more senior level access and they, they seem to be really looking out for us by all appearances. I'd love to hear that. You know, it's yeah. so nice because I think it, 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 all these feel like black boxes to people and I think that's where the anger comes from and the discord because it feels like a black box that no one has control over, but it's nice to hear about a company that's doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so what's working for you right now on YouTube? I mean, obviously, it, you know, you, you're in a different space than all the people that follow us. Uh, <laughs> I think the closest I've got is like 1 million followers on someone, but so 2 million followers, uh, with the exception of like Thomas, you, you've got you've got a lot of clout, but what's, you know, you still have to be looking at what's working, right? You still yep. have to be following it. What is working for you right now on YouTube and what's not? Right. One other thing that makes YouTube quite unique, it's it's actually not really a social platform. Discoverability and vir- virality are kind of a, a, a very different animal on YouTube. And when you create a piece of content, you have to look at the shelf life of your content. It's going to be very short on Twitter and TikTok and maybe even Instagram stories, because basically if it doesn't pop in the first couple of hours of, of being discovered, um, then it is, it, it's going to die on the vine. And, and people's habits of consumption and how the algorithm is built isn't really about showing you old content. Now, YouTube is very different in that it's very search-driven, and it's powered by the world's most powerful search engine. And so your content can be, if it's written and produced well, can be evergreen. Meaning three, four, ten years from now, it can be discovered and it can pop then because it hit a certain chord in, in the zeitgeist of what's going on and people can rediscover your content. Notice oftentimes when you're searching for something, you may find a video that is square in its format and not 16 by 9 aspect ratio, but it's so good and you're just watching it. Clearly, that's a really old video. So the consumption habits are very different on YouTube. YouTube is one of the social platforms, one of the few, that's actually in my living room, right? All the other platforms just live on my phone. And now I can lean back or I can lean in. It has a very intelligent recommend uh, playlist so that as I'm watching one thing, it kind of knows what people like me want to watch more of. And so I'm discovering different things. So those are two really powerful things. Evergreen content, the long shelf life, right? And also the fact that they seem to be very... Um, supportive of creators. They understand this. Um, There's other things I can talk about, but that's why I really love YouTube. And what has worked? What has worked? For for us, for our channel, there's a couple types of format of content that work really well. Shorts, when they first started implementing them, helped our channel to grow from a million to two million. And we were picking up thousands of new subscribers per day versus per month prior to that. And so shorts, I think, really force us as content creators to learn how to tell a very succinct story and to give value immediately. And when you can do it in a short form content, uh, a piece of content, you'll you'll learn that, okay, long form is similar, but you got to build those same hooks. We don't take for granted someone's time anymore. Now, some people hate shorts because they're used to YouTube, but I think it's because they just don't like change. Other forms of content that seem to work really well for us are really tightly produced, designed, whiteboard kind of sessions where it's me at my best where I'm trying to teach somebody something. There's a framework, there's lessons, there's quotes, 
there's actionable things that you can do after watching the video or while you're watching the video. Those two things tend to be the, our most popular pieces of content. Love it. And so coming back now to what we talked about before, where you're like, I, I didn't feel comfortable because I wasn't, it felt like I was always selling. At what point do you make the, because I get this question all the time, I don't want to give away everything. If I give away everything, they're not going to come buy my course. They're not going to come buy my book. What? How do you make that divide in between what's on mm. YouTube and what's in, in beyond the door? Okay. I'm going to say something that's very polarizing. Everyone who says, uh, if, if I give away everything, they won't buy anything. And I'll say this to them right now. I'm going to look right in the camera and say this. You're wrong. You're 100% wrong. Okay. Because what's, what's the uh, currency of the 21st century? It's your, your community, how big your community is, because with the big community that really shows up for your content, you can sell a book, you can sell a speaking event. And I'll, I'll tell you something right now. This goes back to Kevin Kelly's article, which has been often referenced and I'll reference it here because that's what I'll do. Uh, 1000 true fans. This is critical. Okay, and, and Kevin is one of the founding um, members of Wired Magazine. He's the executive editor. He wrote this thing kind of pre-social media, so it was kind of the foresight. What he could see into the future was quite amazing. And what, what he's saying is, what is a true fan? A true fan is someone who's willing to spend, I think he said, like $100 with you uh, and buy your products and services. If they're willing to spend a hundred dollars with you per year, you can comfortably sustain yourself with a hundred thousand dollars. So you just need 1000 true fans. And the example he gives is they'll, they'll buy your book, your audio book and your whatever, like every version of the book that you make, because they just love you so much. And this is happening to me right now where somebody said, well, I bought the ebook of, of your book that you wrote but I just felt like I needed the physical copy. And so then they bought the physical copy and, and there's no new information in the physical copy, except for now you have something that's tangible. So that is the definition of a true fan. Now, the reason why I have a following and why I have a business that did four and a half million dollars of revenue last year is because I've always thought I'm going to give my best stuff away. Because if you give your crappy stuff away, well, who cares about you then? Or if you do everything that's gated, uh, meaning you, you tease out what you're going to tell them, and then you gate everything else behind a paywall, it creates a frustration there. And this is how most businesses market their knowledge products, which is I'm going to give you a taste and everything else behind a paywall. And that's fine. And really what they're doing is they're selling a course. I'm trying to build a community, a culture, and a movement. It's got to be much bigger than this, right? So that's that's why I do what I do. Now, I'll give you the other example from the other side. There's, there's a woman, I think her name is Leslie, and she teaches how to author a course. And one of my creative directors attended her webinar. I thought it was super valuable and insisted that we, we buy the course. So I think it was $1,500 or something like that. And we paid for it. And then after he finished the course, he said, I asked him, like, how did it go? And he said, eh, it was all right. I mean, what do you mean it was all right? We just paid $1,500 for this. He, and he said, she gave us the best content up front and I was thrilled. So I felt like I learned what I needed to learn and the rest was just gravy. Okay? So that's what's happening right now. So for me right now, I, I, I'm paid um, decent money to do sponsored posts. I am paid to speak at conferences all over the world. And, and, and that rate is increasing every single day. 
because it's powered by the community. Meaning when they see the social proof that there's 1.9 million followers or 800,000 followers on Instagram, they think, wow, he must be worth listening to. Therefore, when I ask for what I want for speaking, they pay me. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. And so, you know, I think one of the biggest problems I see after that is when we talk community and we're like, well, who do you see in your community? And I talk to people about this and who are your ideal clients? And, and so rarely can people define that. And I, I, and I, you know, I think this also comes into your latest LinkedIn post that we'll put a, a, a note in here. But I, the quote you have actually is from Mar Marty Newman. As brands don't create customers, customers create their brand. Yeah. The brand with the strongest tribe wins, and which is a fantastic quote, right? Yeah. And I'm of the big feeling that, you know, you got to you got to go out there, listen, build, listen, build, listen, build. Uh, how are you how are you doing that? How how have you shifted? Is it the same community you're looking to build the same people in the community since day one? Has that shifted? Uh, you know, because you've got to speak to one person. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that you were talking about is uh, from the, uh, the brand flip written by Marty Newmeyer, And he, he says, and this is a hard concept to get your head wrapped around. I, as the creator of the brand, don't own the brand. The people own the brand because brands live in the hearts and the minds of people. And so when they say, Chris, that's out of character for your brand. I'm like, what are you talking about? I am the brand. I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe not. And so it's something I'm still wrestling with. Right. And has has our community changed? Most definitely it has, but I've I've always thought of this person and I always try to speak to the same person and it's because they're also the loudest on the internet, so I understand them quite well. The person I'm speaking to generally is an independent contractor who calls themselves a freelancer. They do something in the creative space, but what creative is is kind of defined by them. Some of them are literally artists, illustrators, and designers. Some of them are hairstylists or... Uh, tattoo artists. So creative runs the whole gamut. Some of them are in sales and finance, and it's quite interesting to talk to those people. Or even in accounting, we have some members in our community that are accountants, not someone I would normally think of as creative. But once you learn their story, you would most definitely categorize them as creative. So I create content for them to help them grow their business by teaching them the soft skills that pretty much nobody taught them or someone taught them really uh, like really bad practices because they've actually never run a real business before. They might run a business in their mind from a textbook, but they've never run one before. So I help people with things like that. And we go through fundamentals, like teaching them how to market, how to negotiate, how to price their work. But what I've come to realize is that that information is already available everywhere on the internet. But why aren't people having success? It's because there's some kind of mindset block or challenge they're not quite ready to take that leap. And so the content has changed, but the audience is the same. So I, I know I can talk about value-based pricing uh, all day long, but really that person who's listening to it or watching our video isn't ready to make that leap. They have a lot of negative self-talk or scarcity mindset around this. And so they feel like they can't take the first step. So I have to help them take that first step. I love it. I love it. And it's funny you say that because it's I, I've had that discussion so much about pricing and like you were saying, and, and it is, it's all mindset, isn't it? it? It's, there's so much, if you're providing a good product, if you're providing a good product. Yeah, but the, the it, foundation it, is it, you must do something good. You must create value in the world, right? Yes. But, and it's funny to me too, 
I don't know if you see this, but the people that are actually the truest experts are the ones that have the hardest time with this in general. You know, there's the 10%, I think, that are pure ego. Do you see that? And how do you help them overcome that? Yeah, ignorant people have no problem thinking that they know everything. (laughs) That's the problem with ignorance, right? The ones who need to know the most are, are the ones who don't think they need to learn anything. But there's this weird trap in that when you're a learned person, you you know what you don't know, which creates this sense of like, uh, who am I? I'm an imposter in all of this because the more I learn, the more I learn I, what I don't know. And it's an endless cycle, which A, I think is positive. You need to recognize that for what it is, that you're in these, this constant pursuit for truth and knowledge. But it doesn't mean that you don't know more than what you need to to service other people or to serve other people. And I think armed with that, then we can start this process. I'd love to tell you this little story. I bumped into somebody recently at the convention that we were just talking about. And his name is Ryan. And so Ryan and I are talking. He said, Chris, um, what do I need to do as a bricklayer to seize the opportunities that are out there? What Ryan was talking about was something that I said was very controversial in our community. And I said that all people who, who make things are in production. And people are arguing with me. So I said, we're all bricklayers. We really are. Not to denigrate bricklayers, but to say that don't elevate yourself above that. There's artistry. There's craftsmanship. There's some who do it better than others. And it's a skilled labor. But what we're doing is production. So if you want to elevate yourself into the getting paid for what you think space, you first need to recognize that what you are doing is production. Okay. Now people want to argue with me and they, they take umbrage with that term bricklayer. And I get that. It's fine. But I asked Ryan this question. I said, you have had a shift. When did that happen? He goes, man, you won't believe this. But about two years ago, I, I like that, that those videos that you put out are kind of eating away at me. But I keep hearing you saying the same thing, which is raise your rates, raise your rates. So he's like, I have this long standing client and I'm going to raise my rates. And I'm thinking about all the things they're going to say back to me, the pushback, the argument, the need to justify myself. And finally, I'm, out, I'm prepared. I'm ready. So he tells that client who's worked with for years, here's my new rate. And do you know what they said? Why did it take so long? They said, <laughs> he said, Okay. <laughs> they just said, okay. And he's shocked because he's like prepared for everything that can go wrong with this conversation. And, and he's like, oh my gosh, all this time, they're kind of waiting for me to raise my rate. And until I have the courage to do so, nothing changes. Armed with that confidence, he goes to the next client, changes his rate, changes. So he said, soon he's now double, doubled like his, his rate. And now he's like thinking to himself, why was I stuck for so long? So you're right. It's a, it's usually a mindset block. But yeah, that's that's amazing. And it's such a it, it, it's a good story about raising your rates, find your own value, um, and comes back to what we talked about before. You don't know what's going to happen until you put it out there. Like you, we don't know what's going to happen in Twitter. It's not something to worry about. You don't know what's going to happen when you ask someone to raise your rates if if you don't ask. Um, and you got to get done. Uh, yeah. This is amazing. This is such amazing stuff, Chris. I, I you know, I, I could talk to you for hours, but I'll, I value your time, and I know you value yours. Um, so we've, we'll put links to the the YouTube channel, all of your social media, and like you said, and definitely a link to your Twitter. But if someone wants to get started, and they're like, you know what, 
I'm a freelancer. I really need to raise my rates and learn all this other stuff. What's the best place on your website to go? Yeah, I would just go to probably thefuture.com. And the future is spelled without an E. So it's F-U-T-U-R. It'll have resources that are free, links to our podcast episodes, to our YouTube channel, and it's a good place to start. There's even me uh, answering your question in video format. And so if you don't know where to start, click on that. Uh, the team created this choose your own adventure thing with me and that you'll see my face and I'll talk to you and not in real time, but I'll talk to you and you'll get, uh, you'll get started with something. Nice. Well, that's awesome. And yeah, and make sure to follow him on Twitter if you're interested in NFTs and see where, where you're going with that. But uh, uh, Christo, thank you so much for being on the garlic marketing show. Um, and I've got one last question for you. Okay. Who is the person? Who is the person that you follow the most? You're putting out a ton of content. Do you follow someone who, and who do you pay attention to the most out there? Yeah, I follow lots of people, and I try my best uh, to uh, give attribution to the people uh, whose ideas I've stolen. Uh, so there are two people that I'm going to mention right now. Probably I've quoted them more more than anyone else. Okay, three people. Uh, two are living. One is dead. The first is Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn's yes. like the godfather of business philosophy. He's passed away. And Rohn is spelled R-O-H-N. Jim Rohn, okay? He's actually the mentor to Tony Robbins and so many other people. As I'm reading books like The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, he references Jim Rohn. I read the book The Power of Self-Confidence by Brian Tracy. He referenced Jim Rohn. So I like to go to the source, right? And so if you can, read, read a book or two by Jim Rohn, and, and you will be kind of enlightened by that. Now, two people who are living, uh, maybe three people, uh, I often refer to is uh, Blair Enns, who wrote the, the Win Without Pitching Manifesto. He also wrote the book Pricing Creativity. Uh, and I just love how succinct Blair is with words. And, and just he's so, so clear. Like I often say value per word, very high ratio. And he has somebody that he does a podcast with uh, called The Two Bobs. His name is David C. Baker. David's also a prolific content creator and writer. He wrote the book, The Business of Expertise. I don't quote from it that much, but I borrow ideas from his book quite often. And the last person, and last but not least, is Jason Fried and David Hansen Heinmeier. Um, they, they founded this company called 37 Signals, now called Basecamp. And they wrote this book. Um, oh, my God, I'm spacing on it right now. Hold on. Where's that book? Oh, I know it too. Uh, it's called Rework. Okay, let me, let me read you yes, that. Yes, Rework. Okay, <laughs> the, the next person you definitely need to follow, last but not least, is the founders of Basecamp, 37 Signals, uh, Jason Fried and David Hansen Heinmeier, or David Heinmeier Hansen, and the book is called Rework, and there's some profound concepts in it that I still go to to this day. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Yeah, those are all great, great, great ones. I, you know, I go back to those Jim Rohn, especially. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. You listen to him and it's like everything we see today is echoed in Jim from Jim Rohn. Yep. It feels like. Um, and, and so that, and that's fantastic because it's like, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that we're all borrowing from someone in some Absolutely. way, shape or form. There's very few. Yeah. There's very few. We're just, it's how you package it, how you help someone get past, but Man, Chris, this has been phenomenal. Uh, we'll make sure to follow you. I really appreciate you being on the show so much. Thank you so much. And thank you all for taking Chris and I on your journey. Make sure to check him out. Let him know you saw him here. And this has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. 
Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.